Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, again we thank you that you have made us your own. That you have made us sheep of the Good Shepherd. That you, O Lord, have sought us out and laid hold of us and claimed us. Evermore guide us that we might follow you. Evermore lead us that we might know where to go. Evermore renew us that we might more and more share the mind that share the mind of Christ and participate more and more in that eternal life that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. When I was younger, we didn't have a farm, per se. We, had a, we did have a lot of animals. We have a, had a pretty good-sized garden. My uncle had a big garden, too. My dad and my uncle used to actually garden next to each other, but then we got a little bit more land, and my dad moved the garden down next to our house instead of way up on the hill. But we had all these animals. We had geese and turkeys, chickens, ducks, pheasants, guineas, and even peacocks for some reason. My mom liked peacocks, so we had four or five peacocks running around in an enclosed pen because they would fly away like the guineas and the pheasants would, so they all were in enclosed pens with roofs over them. But we had lots and lots of geese and ducks and chickens and turkeys, and I loved them. I loved them so much. It was so fun to go into the pen and help feed them, help run them around, go check for eggs, run away from the roosters when they would get mad that I was messing with their hens. Lots of fun activities would happen there with these animals. But one of my favorite things that I loved doing when it got to be spring and summer was we would let them out. We had them in this big pen that had a big pond in it, a big barn, but because that's where they lived, they trampled the ground flat and there was no grass in there. We would take feed into them and feed them with corn and various other kinds of things, scraps from our garden or from our leftover vegetables. They would get to eat on those. But every once in a while during the spring and summer, regularly we would let them out. We'd open the gate up and we'd go in and run them out into the yard and let them run around the yard for a couple hours and just munch on grass and find bugs and worms or whatever. But of course, when we did that, we had to keep an eye on them because if we didn't, they'd wander over to my uncle's yard and get into his yard and he didn't like that. Or they'd wander into the garden and start munching on the food that they weren't supposed to munch on. Or they'd wander down into the front yard and um, that would be a disaster with the main road being in front of our house at that time. Who wants to say I hit a goose? <laughs> so we kept them out of the yard. We kept them out of the front. We had to keep them corralled in the back, but there's plenty of room. And so the way that we did that, I would often be the one in charge of that because I was the one who really liked doing it. I loved herding the geese and the ducks and the chickens around. I just have like a big stick, just a huge long stick or maybe just a big six foot PVC pipe. And I just use it like a bow staff, just running around and like bopping up against them and guiding them. And cause I, my arms weren't long enough. Cause if I just kind of went up to them, they would just go around me. Maybe like, I'll just go around you and go where I want to go. And so I had to have a big stick to guide them, to keep them going the direction that they needed to go, to keep them within the parameters that they were allowed to have. And so I think of all that cause I, is a little bit like being a shepherd. The geese didn't really respond to my voice that well. Though if you yelled at them loud enough, they would get the idea. But it was always fun to rounding them back up. 
because you'd have to get them into a big crowd and get them up to this gate that was about the size of our doorway here into the chapel, into a regular door, is about that wide, and take these like 40 or 50 animals and push them all through this one gate. So we'd have to round them up and it'd take like half an hour to get them back in. But again, that was using that big stick to kind of just keep them gathered together. And if some of them wandered off, you just have to let them wander off for a little bit. And then you'd go back and get them after you got everyone else taken care of. And so that's what the shepherd is ultimately doing for us. We are on the loose. We're in the fields. We're grazing. And he is there beside us, keeping an eye on us, protecting us, keeping the wild dogs from coming in, keeping the wolves away, keeping the predatory birds from coming down and snatching our young. The shepherd is there to watch over us. But not all believe that he is the good shepherd. Here in our text today, we hear about the Jews confronting him about being the Christ. And there's a reason for them to jump from him talking about the good shepherd to him being, well, are you the Christ? But what we see is they can't believe it, no matter what he does, because they are not of the sheep. They are deaf to his voice. They refuse to hear. They refuse to receive the grace of his words. They refuse to re receive the conviction of his words. Because after all, my heart would be pretty crushed if Jesus looked at me and said, well, the reason you don't believe is because you're not one of my sheep. And I think my first word would be, then make me one of your sheep, Jesus. Because that's what I want to be. I want to be with you. But these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, these Sadducees, whoever they are, the scribes, the, they're just the Jewish leaders there at the temple are confronting Jesus, wanting to know if he is the Christ because the Christ is the good shepherd and the good shepherd is the Christ because the good shepherd is the one who rules his sheep faithfully and cares for them and protects them and saves them from all kinds of dangers. That is what the good shepherd does and that is what a king does. And so that's where we're coming into this text. Jesus has been talking about being the good shepherd and now the, the Jewish leaders are like, well, are you the Christ then? Does that make you the Christ? And so they encircle him to do that. And here at the beginning, they're encircling him, challenging him. Because it says there in verse 24, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want to know. And so they're encircling him. And now this encircling is not a happy little, let's sit down and have a little discussion about who the Christ is. No, this is an angry encircling. This word is used throughout the Old Testament to describe enemies encircling the people of God. In Psalm 22, it speaks of ravening dogs encircling the psalmist. In Psalm 118, it speaks of the enemies of the psalmist coming against him and surrounding him. And so here for John to say that the Jews gathered around him, our English, that's a nice English translation, but it really is a sense of they came up against him and encircled him. I mean, we don't feel comfortable if a group of people come and circle around us, hollering at us and talking to us. So this is not a nice, happy meeting between Jesus and the Pharisees, between Jesus and these leaders. They are angry. They want a direct answer so that they can act against him. There is ill intent in their question of, are you the Christ? They don't care what answer he gives. They just care about how they can use that answer against him. They want to know how they can use that answer for their own personal benefit. 
So they want something straightforward, but they want it straightforward enough that they can take advantage of it because so, they just refuse to believe in him. And it's important, as I was saying, that they're asking him, why are you the Christ? Because he's just spent this whole time talking about being the good shepherd. I'm not sure if there's a time lapse here. If the beginning of John chapter 10 is another time in Jerusalem or not. But what, even if it is, Jesus talking about being the good shepherd stays on their minds. Because the shepherd is the king. Not only in Old Testament literature, not only in the Old Testament is the shepherd a king, is the king a shepherd. We see that perfectly in the reality of David. God says, you will be the shepherd of my people. No more will you be with the flocks of sheep. You will now be the shepherd as king of the people. Throughout the Old Testament, David is seen as the shepherd. I mean, he penned the beautiful Psalm 23 about how God is our shepherd. But God declares that David himself is a shepherd for God's people. And over in Ezekiel 34, starting around verse 11, God starts speaking of how he will be the shepherd of his people. He will go out and rescue them. He will go out and pursue them. He will go out and bring them in as the true and good shepherd. And then near the end of that section, he says, and I will raise up David, my servant, to be the shepherd under me. I will make David my shepherd. And of course, this is long after David's dead, isn't it? When Ezekiel's writing. And so David has become synonymous with the Messiah. When you hear them referencing David in the Old Testament after David has died, and they're talking about David ruling over them, they're talking about the Messiah in every case. And so God himself says, I will appoint a Messiah to be the good shepherd. But even more throughout the ancient Near East, this shepherd king language is in everything, whether it's in the Code of Hammurabi or it's in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Even in Egypt, the pharaohs are seen as shepherds over the people. I'd never thought about this before, but if you look at King Tut's sarcophagus, it's got two shepherd's crooks on it. Just sitting there right on top of the golden version of his body, the, the way that they molded his body and his face into the sarcophagus. And there's two big shepherd's hooks there because the Pharaoh was a shepherd. The Pharaoh was to care for the people. The Pharaoh was to, to watch over them because that's what kings do. And so for Jesus here in the, in the New Testament here in John to be walking around the temple saying, I am the good shepherd, is him to indirectly be saying, I am the Messiah. I am the true king. I am the one that God has sent into this world to redeem and save you people, to make you my own. And the Jewish leaders don't like that. They want him just to come out and straightforwardly say it. People are picking up on it. People are understanding it. And that's why Jesus doesn't answer them. He says, I told you and you don't believe. My works speak for themselves. It's like when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they wanted to know, are you the Messiah? He says, look at what I do. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame dance around and walk. The good news is being proclaimed to the poor. The prisoners are being set free. All of those are activities of the Messiah, and that's what Jesus is doing, and that's what he's telling these Jewish leaders. I'm doing all the things that Messiah does. You figure it out now. He won't give them a straight answer because he knows that they don't understand the Messiah's work. They want the Messiah to only be a political figure that will overthrow Rome. 
that will come in like a Judas Maccabeus and just be a hammer against the enemies of God. And that's why I think John makes it a point of saying that this is happening at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Hanukkah, there in the midst of winter, Jesus is at the Colonnade of Solomon. The reason the Jews have Hanukkah is because in the 160s BC, they were being ruled over by Syria. And there was an emperor in Syria, a king in Syria, who came into the Jewish lands and tried to force all of them to be Greek. He went so far as to desecrate the temple, sacrificing a pig on the altar of God and setting up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He wanted the Jewish people to worship the Greek gods. He wanted them to turn away from Yahweh because he couldn't stand that they had their own religion, that they were ignoring Zeus. And so he made a requirement that they had to offer a sacrifice. And so in one of, the lo one of the places where the people would come to offer sacrifices, someone came forward, a Jewish man came forward to offer a sacrifice. And a priest jumped forward, grabbed a sword, and cut his head off. And then attacked the Syrian soldiers and started the revolt against Syria. And his name was Judas Maccabeus. He became king over Israel because he pushed Assyria, he pushed the Syrians out of the land. He cleansed the temple with his brothers and rededicated it to God. And thus instituted the Feast of Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple there on the 25th of Chislev, there during the winter months, approximately our time of December. And they have this feast of dedication that they celebrate every year with the Festival of Lights because it was on that day that they went into the holy place and relit the candles on the menorah because they had re-consecrated the temple and set it back apart for God. And so here is Jesus at the Colonnade of Solomon talking about being a good shepherd and the people wanting to know, are you the Christ? Are you the one who's going to free us from Rome? Are you going to be the Messiah who comes in like a hammer and crushes the Roman Empire for God's people? And so he won't give a straight answer, no matter how they encircle him, no matter how they want to yell and make, no, make him tell them. He will not give them a direct answer because they can't handle that answer because they want him to be a political leader. They don't want a spiritual leader to bring them healing. They don't want a spiritual leader who will make all things new. They don't want a spiritual leader who might extend the nation of Israel to include dirty, filthy Gentiles. They want a political leader who will go out and destroy the Gentile nations, who will subjugate them, enslave them, and make them work for the Jewish people. And so Jesus says, look at the works that I do and you will know if I am the Christ. But you can't understand them because you don't believe. And you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. And this is where we move from that encircling moment to Jesus moving them toward a hearing moment. He tells them that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He gives us beautiful an amazing and astounding assurance of his salvation that the sheep will hear his voice and they will follow him and he will give them eternal life. He will fill them up with himself. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He will lead and guide them and they will respond to his voice. It's much like what Moses wanted for the next person to follow after him. That what we heard there over in the book of Numbers, 
Moses is about to go up on Mount Abiram and leave the people, but he says, God, you have to put someone else in charge, someone who will go out and come in and will lead the people out and bring them in. Because your people will be like sheep without a shepherd if you don't appoint someone. And so God does. He gives Joshua the authority. He tells him, lay your hands on Joshua and give him a piece of your authority so that the people will follow him. So he will go out before them and come in before them and they will obey him. They will hear his voice and respond to his voice. Joshua becomes a shepherd over the people of Israel. <coughs> and think of this. All the things that Joshua is to do are is exactly what Moses has been doing. He's been leading the people. He's been guiding them. They've been obeying his voice most of the time. He is only invested with a piece of Moses' authority. You shall invest him with some of your authority and the congregation will obey him. He is the shepherd, but Jesus is the greater shepherd. He is the greater Joshua because he shares the same name. Jesus is just the Greek version of Joshua, which is Yeshua in Hebrew. Yeshua was who followed Moses. Yeshua is who took over after Moses. Yeshua is Joshua in the Old Testament. And Jesus is named for Joshua, the one who brings salvation to his people. Because Joshua led the people into the land. He helped the people conquer it. He led them through the conquering of the promised land. And now Jesus is the greater Joshua because he will lead his sheep forward. He will carry them forward and they will follow him because they obey his voice, because they listen to him. And they will hear him. And he will lead them on the paths of salvation. He will lead them nearer to where they need to go. Now just as I would sometimes have to take that stick and guide those geese and those all those fowl around to get them to go where they needed to go, Jesus will guide us. He will call us. He will lead us. We hear His voice. But the voice that we hear is not the voice deep down within, this little silent voice. Within, the voice that Jesus is talking about is an outward voice because He is standing there preaching to the people. He's saying, with his physical voice, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who will lead the sheep, and the sheep will hear my voice. And many of the people there in Jerusalem, throughout the countryside, throughout Judea, are responding to his voice. They hear him, they respond, and they follow. The voice that we have to hear is not an inward voice, but an outward voice. And that outward voice comes through Scripture. Through the Bible itself, that is the appointed voice of Jesus. All of Scripture is the Word of God, endued with the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit guided the writing of these words. And that is where the voice of Jesus is found. That's why we know that He said, I am the Good Shepherd, because it's written down in the Bible for us to respond to, for us to hear, for us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. That is how we hear the voice of God. That is how we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd is through Scripture itself. We hear it in the liturgy, for the liturgy derives itself from Scripture. We hear the voice of Jesus in the sacraments because the sacraments come from Jesus Himself, and He appointed them to be done as markers and signs and assured places of effectual grace for us. We hear and obey Jesus because He has given us His Word to change us, to transform us, so that we can then follow Him. 
And the only way that we can truly follow after him is for us to do that very thing of digesting the scripture itself. As our collect for the second, I think it's the second Sunday of Advent, says to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of God. And that is the only way that we will know the voice of Jesus is to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this very word that is given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit and placed before us, that the Spirit will then place inside of us. As we read it, as we learn it, as we inwardly digest, it becomes implanted within and becomes something that we can then listen to because it is the holy inspired word of God to guide us ever nearer to the shepherd. For it is the voice of the shepherd speaking to us in this word. But even more gloriously in his promises of assurance of salvation here, as we follow him, as we hear his voice and are changed by the hearing of his voice, he tells us that no one will snatch us out of his hand. That as the sheep are following and are pursuing and are hearing and listening and obeying, Jesus is hanging on to them and no one can steal them from us. But even more so, my Father is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So the sheep who are hearing Jesus' voice are in his hand and the Father's hand is wrapped around that so that they cannot be snatched or stolen or dragged away. That is what that means, that to not be snatched away, to not be stolen, to not be ripped out of the Father's hand or out of the Son's hand, the Good Shepherd's hand. And the reason it is like that is because Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so we have Jesus being the one Good Shepherd. We have Jesus being the one Christ. But we have Jesus also being the one God. For He and the Father are together. They are one essence, one being. And yet, the Godhead is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together. And that again reminds me of Joshua and Moses. Joshua only had a tiny bit of Moses' authority. And here you have Jesus with the fullness of God's authority dwelling in flesh on earth. Even with partial authority, Joshua had the right to call the people to follow him, to obey him, to listen to him, to do what he says. And now we have Jesus, the greater Joshua, the new Joshua, the better than the old Joshua, who is saying, I and the Father are one. We share our essence. We share our being. We are fully equal. We are co-equal in glory and eternity. And he says, obey my voice. Hear my voice. Respond to me and follow me. And in your following of me, you will be with me. And you cannot be stolen from me. Our enemies in the world cannot harm us. They cannot steal you away from me while you are in my flock, while you are part of my people, while you are my sheep. When I make you my sheep and you follow and hear my voice, you will stay with me. You cannot be stolen away. You cannot be taken away from me. And that is our great and glorious assurance from our good shepherd that he calls us and we respond and we are his sheep and in his flock and we are guarded and protected and safe in his flock. We are safe in his people. We are safe because we cannot be stolen from him. Because we are his sheep following his voice, following his lead. 
and he keeps us together. And if we wander off, he will come after us and he will strike us back and bring us back and direct us back and discipline us back into the flock. He will protect us to keep us from being stolen away. But we listen to his voice. We hear his voice. We inwardly digest his word to us because he is true God from true God. How much more should we follow him than the people of Israel followed Joshua? For Jesus is the one God for us. He is the one king for us. He is the one Messiah for us. He is the one savior for us. That no matter how much the enemies may encircle him, he is hanging on to us and we cannot be stolen no matter how much the enemy strikes out against his sheep. We cannot be stolen from him because we have been made his sheep and we follow him. We hear his voice and follow after him. So we may we find our peace, may we find our rest, may we find our comfort and our assurance in following Jesus, in hearing his voice and being brought into faith and transformed by his word, by his liturgy, by his sacraments. May we be transformed ever more into that glorious follower of Jesus. For our following is simply the outworking of our faith and our trust in him. He calls us and we hear his voice and we come to faith and trust in him. And he leads us through repentance, through confession, through forgiveness, into reconciliation and restoration. He leads and guides us as we hear his voice. If we quit listening to his voice, we aren't led forward anymore. If we quit listening, we don't hear him anymore. We don't receive from him his goodness and his mercies in the same way. But all it takes is opening our ears back up by the power of the Spirit, by hearing his word, by responding to his word, by following after him day in and day out and hearing his word over and over and over for us that we are his and he is ours. And so rest in that assurance that Jesus is yours and hear his voice this day. Receive his grace, receive his renewal, receive his transformation, that we might be sent forward as his sheep into this world knowing that we cannot be stolen, but that we can go forward with this good shepherd and receive more and more sheep who will hear his voice, who will receive his voice that we can join up into this greater and greater flock that will become an innumerable multitude that we saw in Revelation. This flock will grow and grow and grow, and we will be part of that flock in a glorious, beautiful moment of worship and joy there in heaven and in new creation. And so know Jesus is, so know that Jesus is your good shepherd. So hear him, obey him and follow him and listen to him. For if he is a good shepherd, he will care for you and provide for you all that you need. And he will carry you ever forward. And you will be unsnatchable from him in the hearing of his voice. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.